The Elk Talk podcast is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, ensuring the future of elk, other wildlife, their habitat, and our hunting heritage. To become a member, go to rmef.org. Welcome to the Elk Talk podcast with Randy Newberg and Corey Jacobson, presented by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. The goal is what little you and I know about elk hunting, we share with people. I've got an elk building that's like 120 yards away. What do I do? First off, the thought would never cross my mind when an elk's being 120 yards away to call anybody on a cell phone. <laughs> All elk. All the time. Only elk. Only elk. Well, it's us having conversations. So we usually go down some rabbit holes. But if you hunt with Corey Jacobson, you will find the landscape is full of rabbit holes. We're just going to make this up as we go. And you look at it like, oh, that's a target-rich environment. But if you're trying to single one out, a solo target there is much easier to go into than a a big group. We record everything, so there's no BS and no lying, no faking it with us. (laughs) Did we hit the record button? I forgot to hit the record (laughs) button. If you want to know something about elk hunting, this probably isn't the podcast to listen to. <laughs> Should we give them a list of all the other podcasts wow. where they might learn something? Morning, Corey. Howdy. How are you, How Randy? Are you? <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm good. I'm over the crud that I caught at Hunt Expo a couple of weeks ago. It Ooh. took me a good week and a half to... Huh. get over that but i'm uh back to working out and feeling about 90 percent. so really huh. yeah, it's just that trade show crud you know you you just can't escape it you go to trade shows it seems like it's uh yeah you're coming home with something yeah you got the hoo-boo itch pox and canker <laughs> as my one friend says <laughs> hoo-boo itch pox and canker. And wow. That's, a, that's an uh, unheard of, un, undocumented one in my book so far. Yeah. Well, that's the equivalent of what you get at a trade show. Yeah. So, if I sound weird, Corey, I've got like four frequencies pouring into this headset. Wow. I, I don't know what I did. But <laughs> I was gone for a week and the crew was using these headset, this, uh, you know, phone and stuff yeah they, they got it screwed up worse than a soup sandwich right now so and i'm not well, smart enough to figure it out so <laughs> uh, it's good to, good to see you're still uh, using the camera guys and the crew as a scapegoat for issues yeah i would like to use them as a scapegoat for my problem uh of the last week I was going to say, I'm, uh, we were talking about coming home with issues after trade shows. I'm, uh, noticing your fingers aren't all functioning there. Nope. You need all your tendons connected if your fingers are going to work right. So moral of the story, don't eat that hippie pizza in Portland, Oregon. (laughs) Oh, let's, uh. We've got to hear a story here. There's, I, it wasn't the pizza that severed tendons in your arm, I'm guessing. No. Yep, but you want to know the good part. I was out there to do a fundraiser for uh, Oregon Hunters Association. Boy, this echo is messing me up. <laughs> I, I, some Chuck, 
truck driver just drove by and I picked up his frequency there. I wonder if I can do it now. All right. I took one ear off. Now I can talk normal. Sorry. <laughs> Corey is, can see me in video. If the audience could see my video, I think it'd be worth way more than the podcast. But Well, uh, there when you had your headset on, you were only finishing the words about halfway, and then you just cut off because you were getting interrupted by somebody in your headset. Yeah, the crew's out here doing stuff, and they're feeding into this whatever mic I got here. It's not even I, April 1st. I, I could see him doing that, being like, hey, let's uh, let's get our voices feeding into Randy while he's on this podcast here. Yeah. So I'm glad they're not coming into the audio feed to the audience. They're just coming <laughs> into my headset. Uh, well, yeah, just, uh, I heard Marcus it, say, hey, we're all going to lunch. Company credit card. <laughs> <laughs> but anyhow, this uh, thing I was doing out in Portland, it was a fundraiser for the Oregon Hunters Association. And I, can I give them a pitch? Yeah. All right. So. The sort of strategy of some of these national groups now is let's go to each state, let's pick their weakest link, and let's just throw all of our money at them and wipe them out, state by state, issue by issue. And if anyone saw the gun control bill, the restrictions on firearm purchases that passed in Oregon by a very slim margin in November, that's what I'm referring to. Yeah, And the group that put up, like, the greatest fight was the Oregon Hunters Association. They got outspent 20 to 1, unfortunately. So I'm when they've been asking me to help them with stuff, I'm like, yeah, let's uh, go out there and do it. Uh, one of my partners, Leopold, went throughout the industry and got thousands and thousands of dollars of stuff to raffle off. And... So I was the MC, and I had to stand up there and tell this story of why I was in a sling. <laughs> and I wanted to make up something like I fought off a grizzly bear, you know, something that would at least maintain my street cred. But what really happened is I get It's far from that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, everyone says Portland has great pizza. I don't think so. I'm, I'm not going to rat out the pizza joint because I don't want them, you know, going down the tubes on account of my sensitive stomach. But so <laughs> there's a big sports show out there at the same time. Thursday, I go to the sports show, do my seminar, whole thing's done that night. I tell my son, Matthew, drive me to my hotel room. You go home and we'll meet up again in the morning because he lives in Beaverton out west of Portland. But stop by this pizza joint. I haven't eaten today. So we stop by, order, you know, pretty big deal, a pepperoni pizza. I mean, you know, that's hard to mess that up. Yeah. yeah. How could you screw that up? But anyhow, get checked into my room and I just wolf down the first piece because I'm so hungry. I don't really even taste it. But when it's in my stomach, I'm like, whew, boy, that's, huh. Must have been a sharp edge on that crust or something. My stomach is not liking this. <laughs> so I wolfed down two more pieces, thinking I'll save the rest for breakfast. Within 10 minutes, I've got the sweats, the bed spins. I, I've got everything. And this is a guy who can't drink alcohol, no recreational drugs, nothing like this. I'm like, 
So that was about 8.30 at night when I ate that pizza. About 11 o'clock, I text Matthew. I'm like, you know, this pizza might be the end of me. Little did I know, about an hour and a half later, it could have been. Uh, I got food poisoning so bad. And I'd never, I don't think I've ever really had food poisoning before, but I did. And I looked down at my stomach and it's the closest thing to having a child trying to get out of your stomach as I can imagine. <laughs> my stomach is wrapping around and flipping and jumping and now it's banging up underneath my ribs. I'm like, I know what this means. This is never good. And I've only vomited about three times in my adult life. And I'm the worst in the world at vomiting. That's why I, <laughs> some people can do it and not even miss a stride. Yeah. Me? Oh boy. It's, it's just about the end if I got to vomit. So I, I'd been so cold. I'd put my Sitka flannel shirt on while I was laying in bed and uh, I jump up, run into the bathroom. And when you walk into the bathroom, you're facing the toilet and the shower is off to the right. And there's a glass shower door is half of it. And then they have a glass panel as the other part of uh, the shower. So I get in this violent episode of vomiting and it's really bad. I'm standing there. It's, it's as bad as anything I ever remember. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, I hope this is going to pass because I might, I could die. You know, that's how bad I'm feeling at this time. <laughs> and a little background for those with medical uh, knowledge. I have really low blood pressure and a low pulse. Little do I know until afterwards, after this event I'm describing, that if you have low blood pressure, vomiting is such an exerting activity that it, you can pass out. So just when I think I'm all done, all of a sudden I can feel like my eyes are starting to sparkle. So I reach up and I grab a towel rack above the toilet. It's the last thing I remember doing. The next thing I remember, I wake up in the shower on top of the shower door that shattered in a million pieces and the glass panel is on top of me shattered in maybe a half million pieces. <laughs> <laughs> And you know how if you've ever been knocked out, when you start coming to, you're not all there, right? Yeah. There, there's some weird things. I remember laying on all this glass and I look over at the toilet and there's a little bit of puke on the side of it. And I'm like, dang it, I puked on their toilet. I got to clean that up. I, <laughs> so I'm on my hands and my knees and I start trying to crawl over there and my right arm keeps giving out. I'm like, what's, yeah, dang it. And I keep trying. And finally, I'm like, look down at my right arm. And there's a great, my shirt is pretty much tore open. And I look and there's blood just everywhere. And it's coming out of my arm in a hurry. And I'm like, uh oh, this isn't good. So I stand up, still really wobbly, um, grab one of the towels, wrap it around my shirt and my, my arm and uh, tried to call an Uber. I needed to get to an urgent care. Well, now my right hand isn't working because I'd severed all those tendons and stuff. And 
I, I already got a new iPhone after being a droid user all my life, so I'm already handicapped by that. And as I'm trying to hit the app for Uber, there's so much blood running onto my phone, I can't, pretty soon I can't see the screen anymore. Now I'm really getting mad. I'm, I'm more mad than I am anything. <laughs> like, well, I better get some, some pants on here. So I try to do that. That was a complicated thing. Uh, somehow slip a pair of shoes on, don't tie them. Uh, and I'm like, all right, I got to go downstairs. Maybe the clerk can dial an Uber for me. Uh, <laughs> so little do I know, I've got this big gash on the side of my head. And you know how a head wound bleeds? Yeah. I, I just, I'm more worried about my arm. Well, I get to the elevator and I got my arm up above me. The towel is already soaked. This white towel, formerly white towel, is now a cherry red and arm up above my head, blood dripping off my elbow. And the clerk is there doing her night work behind the counter, and I walk up there. (laughs) I'm sure she thought I got murdered. (laughs) She's like, "Uh, you need some help. I'm like, yeah. And I hand her my phone. I'm like, can you call me an Uber? I need to get to urgent care. And she looks at me, and she looks at my phone, and... It's just everything is such a mess. She's like, I'm not calling you an Uber. I'm calling you an ambulance. <laughs> I'm like, no, don't be calling 911 because I don't do an ambulance. I'll walk before I'll get in an ambulance. They're a ripoff. And uh, <laughs> she says, well, okay, I'm going to have my driver take you in our shuttle to the ER. Okay, that, that'll work. Perfect. I got, I, I'll leave him a tip. Uh you know, twenty dollar tip to a shuttle driver is way cheaper than a five thousand no dollar uh, ambulance drive. So yeah. that's where I end up. Go through the whole ER thing for eight hours, and come to find out, I severed three tendons uh, and obviously a bunch of the muscles. And thank God for tempered glass. Yeah, I, I can't imagine how bad it would have been. Uh, I I showed you this where all these two big batches of staples are. (laughs) Uh, I remember when I got up, I was laying on top of one of these like mounting brackets on on the floor. They have to mount these glass panels. And I think what happened is some of that tempered glass kind of stacked up on that mounting post. Stayed in that, yeah. Yeah. And that went in my forearm, out of my forearm, and then uh, probably when I was wiggling and trying to break free, it broke off in my forearm and all that uh, tempered glass was like gravel inside that wound. So, yeah. So you got to spend some time letting a doctor dig shards of tempered glass out of your muscle. Yeah, that was like the out-of-body experience. So I'm there in the after they took care of numerous homeless people and drug addicts that are regulars at the ER in Portland. Uh, I mean, they're on a first-name basis with most of these people. They're such regulars there, especially on a night when the temp drops into the 20s. Uh, they finally get to me, and the doctor shoots me full of some sort of local anesthetic. And he's like, can you feel this? And he's touching above the wound and below the wound. I'm like, no, I can't feel it. He's like, good, because this is going to hurt. <laughs> and he takes his index finger, and he's got some rubber thing wrapped around it. 
and he puts his index finger in the exit wound and pushes it all the way out through the entrance wound because he's trying to get all this glass out of there. He said, we got to get this glass out because showers are like germ pits. Yeah. You know, we, we, so it was like so surreal. It's like watching a TV show (laughs) when you see someone's index finger going into your forearm and coming out the other side of your forearm. It's like, and you don't feel it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) As weird as it can be. Uh, So he stapled me all up. Uh, Oh, and then they irrigate. They called it irrigating. They like flush it. Yeah, like this guy had like a pump with about two liters of saline and it just trying to get anything else out of there. They stapled me up. He's like, I'm not going to sew you up because uh, when you get to Bozeman, you're going to need hand surgery uh, and they'll just cut you open again anyhow. So, uh, no, you know, no sense in doing a fancy job here. <laughs> uh, that's why what I showed you looks like. Maybe some logger did it or something. Yeah, uh, it's like a Frankenstein project. <laughs> yeah, and then he's looking at me, and I I kept scratching behind my ear. He's like, uh, "Well, let me. What's going on with your head?" And so I got this big gash on the side of my head. So he, he ran a couple strips of staples, <laughs> ran a staple gun down it. Yeah, so I get those uh, all taken out. I think tomorrow. I have the surgery tomorrow, and I think they said they're going to take the staples out of my head tomorrow. So, so the moral of the story, don't eat pizza in Portland. Yeah. So did uh, falling through the glass, the, the shower door, did that snap you out of your food poisoning, or were you still dealing with that? I, I think the vomiting had taken care Cleared of most it. of it. When I was there, though, I was still like, yeah. But I don't know how much of that was from how dehydrated you get after a vomiting session like that. The fact that I hadn't slept for now mm, probably 20 hours. And the so fact that I lost loss. blood. Yeah. <laughs> I do remember when, when that big ball of glass was sitting in there, it looked like my forearm had a curve to it, like a 60-degree angle. And when they first came in, the doc's like, oh, that's a broken arm. Go get some x-rays. So the nurse takes me in there. She's like, can you walk? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. Don't worry. So I walk <laughs> in there, put my arm on this x-ray table. She takes them. She's like, well, whenever there's an injury that involves glass, we always do a chest x-ray to make sure you don't have any in your chest area. Okay. Stand up over here in front of that. So I got up and I walk over there. The last thing I remember is saying, <laughs> I'm falling, and I grabbed a hold of that x-ray machine. That's the last thing I remember there. And then I wake up in this operatory with about three nurses. Oh, we got a this. Hurry up, do that. His blood pressure's falling. And <laughs> I'm going in and out of consciousness. And the one thing I remember, I thought I do remember of that is thinking to myself, you know, I'm going to die in a Portland hospital because of a bum pizza. <laughs> and then I woke up sometime later, all hooked up to all kinds of stuff. And then they let me stay there while they tended to more important people, or, you know, injuries. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not people, but just you got to get pretty high up the injury uh, protocols 
to get attention in a Portland ER between all the, the, the homeless people that are stabbing each other and, you know, getting a leg run off by the subway. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's, oh, that's a whole nother topic. So uh, did, uh, did Matthew end up with food poisoning? No, I'm the only one who ate any pizza. He doesn't, first of all, he doesn't eat pizza. Second of all, he just dropped me off at my room. With the pizza. With the pizza. Gotcha. Yeah. I wish I would have dropped that pizza on the ground on the way in there. But as hungry as I was, I probably would have ate it anyhow. So. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, so, uh, so the yeah. aftermath is you have no use of your ring finger or your pinky finger on your right hand. Correct. Or my right wrist. Or your I wrist. Can't, I can't lift my right wrist. So the cut's on the top of your arm. Which controls the extender muscles tendons. and tendons. Yep. yep. So and that's exactly what the your fingers the, uh, are curled up. Yep. And... Yeah. <laughs> like... I'm looking in the video here. Andy's holding it up, and his uh, ring finger and pinky finger are curled up against his hand. He can move his other two fingers and his thumb. Yeah. Can't lift my wrist. Can so whenever I try to lift my wrist, I just drop my elbow <laughs> the way to do it so, but, uh, well make sure and tell the surgeon that he you know make sure that he's aware that you need to have the right tendons connected because if they cross the tendons that becomes an issue because you think you're moving your pinky and you're actually moving your ring finger or you smash your pinky and your ring finger hurts and so, <laughs> i just know that because my dad actually cut his wrist one time gutting an elk and I was on a steep hill and was running the knife up in there and slipped and went to catch himself and just, you know, the reaction and the, uh, the movements, he ended up sticking the knife in his wrist and it severed the tendons on the bottom side of the arm there. And so when he went in, he claims that they, uh, they switched the wires and got wrong tendons connected to wrong tendons on the other end. And so I forget what it was. If it was his thumb, he could bite his thumb and it hurt his pointer finger. Or, you know, he'd try to bend his thumb and his pointer finger would be moving. And so. <laughs> well, I, I'm hoping this guy knows to connect positive to positive That's and negative right. to negative, you know. <laughs> Maybe he'll be like an electrician. I'll have some of those plastic wire couplings. There you, you go. Know, there. <laughs> but uh, no, the, the ER doc, my GP, and the hand surgeon all said that I was pretty lucky that it was a wound this deep and this long uh, on the outside of your arm is way better than on the inside of your forearm. Yeah. The surgeon said if if I had that deep of a wound that large of a wound on the bottom of my forearm he said one you would have bled a whole lot more and two you'd be looking at multiple surgeries yeah to fix just everything. so many nerve bundles and tendon bundles and yeah i mean just so. think when you when you cut a deer's leg or an elk's leg yep. you know when you cut it on that bottom side there you can feel everything the hoof the dew claws everything just they relax yeah, because you just cut the connection that controls them. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, I, and then I'm there for this sports show. I'd signed up for a bunch of seminars. I, I the born and raised outdoor guys wanted me to do a podcast with them. So I get out of the ER about nine in the morning, 
the shuttle guy brings me back to the hotel room and Matthew meets me there. He, he's got like a mash kit with him. You know, he, he, all of a sudden he thinks he's going into full on battle medic mode or something. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I told him, I said, well, I got a seminar at one o'clock. He's like, well, we're going to cancel that. I'm like, no, we're not. I, you know, I can take some meds and, you know, that would be interesting how I answered their questions. So on Friday, whatever I did, if you were at one of those seminars, you probably were laughing at some of my answers. Uh, and then I did the podcast with Born and Raised at four o'clock that afternoon. And I'm pretty sure I might have ruined their entire brand in, in an hour. Was they, did they release the podcast yet? I don't know if they have. Oh, uh, or Trent, if they will. Trevor and Cody were, uh, I think they were having a lot of fun with me. I, I just saw kind of this mischievous grin on their faces. And uh, the audience would ask questions. And those guys would answer some, you know, kind of easy, you know, routine, canned answer. And then they'd be like, well, what do you think, Randy? And I'd drift <laughs> into some sort of who knows what. So. The Elk Talk podcast has been sponsored from the beginning by our friends at GoHunt. And you may think of them about draw odds and all the other information that we use and we talk about. But the one thing a lot of people don't know is they have the best Western hunter gear shop anywhere. So if you're interested in your buying gear and you want to get a discount on regular priced items out on their gear shop, go out to GoHunt.com and go to the shop. And when you do... Use promo code ELKTALK when you check out, and you're going to save quite a bit of money on all those regular priced items. The Elk Talk podcast is also brought to you by Mountain Ops, making outdoor energy and performance nutrition to make you a stronger and healthier elk hunter. They have a full line of hunting-related supplements, including meal replacement shakes, multivitamins, pre-workout fuel, and post-workout recovery, and my favorite, their new performance protein bars that by the way, are packed with 270 calories and 20 grams of protein, but contain less than 6 grams of sugar. Visit mountainops.com to learn more and to order, and be sure to use the promo code ELKTALK to save on your next order. So on Saturday, I had another seminar, and then I had to MC the fundraiser Saturday night. Uh, so if I mess that up, uh, we'll blame it on the meds. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. But, well, that's what I showed up for, you know. I wasn't going to bail out. If you got meds, you can get through just about anything. But. <laughs> well, I got your text that, you know, you sent me the picture of your arm. And, uh-huh. yeah, we uh, we talked about the differences in, in how you're perceived if that was to happen, you know, fighting off a grizzly bear or yeah. rescuing a, a small child from a you know a frozen lake that they had fallen through or something and you know your street yeah. cred goes up you're a you're a hero when you eat bad pizza and pass out puking in a toilet in a portland hotel, portland hotel. and go through the shower door that's there's just that's not a good. whole lot of heroics in there there's no street cred involved there in fact I, it's going to take me another 15 years to rebuild what little street cred I had in the hunting space. <laughs> oh, well, I'm just glad uh, glad that it all worked out. Yeah. Well, I'm glad there's some great people in Portland who 
you know that we have an image of portland i think from the news and the media but that whole area of oregon and vancouver washington there's a lot of fanatic hunters and anglers oh, yeah. there. Uh, so many great people uh, oh, they used to be. Though. They've all they've all moved to Idaho and Montana now. But. <laughs> oh, Corey, uh, yeah, you, you better hold on. You know how I told you when I did the Seattle show, a lot yeah. of people were coming. Oh, I, I think you guys. You know, I've read this stuff about how they want to secede the eastern half of Oregon and and merge and merge with, with Idaho. Idaho. Yeah, obviously that'll never happen, but. I think everyone's going to migrate. Yeah. Uh, you you guys have no idea what you're in for. I was at least there to to tell them the Bozeman is full. You know, we got <laughs> all kinds of strange diseases here. You know, the FBI taps all your communications. You know, uh, <laughs> they're like, I, listen, I, Randy, they've been doing that for ten years over here. <laughs> <laughs> You, you do not have diseases in Bozeman we haven't dealt with in Portland. I guarantee you. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I don't even want to tell you what one of them told me about the diseases of Portland. It's not uh, the people. But uh, anyhow, uh, a lot of great elk hunters there. Yeah. Uh, great questions, great uh, seminars, but they they are definitely dealing with a lot of change. And uh, I, I was just very happy that I could help the Oregon Hunters Association. I've known those folks for quite a while, Brian and Amy and and Tyler and all them, uh, to see what a fight they're putting up in spite of being so outnumbered, yeah. in spite of being so underfunded. It's remarkable. And I I think if people pay attention to what's going on, you're seeing these national groups identifying, okay, what's the weak spot in Oregon? What's the weak spot in Washington? How do we get wolves in Colorado? So they're coming to states where we might be a little apathetic thinking, oh, this will never happen here. And they're bringing all of their money. They know how to do public relations. They know how to do media. They know how to do all this litigation, how to get they know how to get the, the federal side involved so yeah surpasses the state. Yep. And so they're doing piece by piece. You know, this state, this issue is kind of one we can just roll them over. And uh, as I've realized that, I mean I should have realized it a long time ago. Uh it's made me want to help these small state based groups even more. Uh, and if you have one in your state, I really hope you'll become a member and uh, get get behind them because they're, they're kind of like the, the last line in the battle, yep. the, the approach these big national groups are using. So, and the uh, the the gun bill that passed in Oregon, it got put on hold, didn't it? Yeah. Yep. temporarily at least so they can yep. review it because i know that there were there was a massive backlog of background checks you, i mean we're talking three four months you had to wait to get yep. a, a gun because everybody jumped in and tried ordering stuff and getting it through the the background checks and ffls and everything and uh then it sounds like that that laxed quite a bit and they're able to get it through right now yep and they, uh, th there's a <clears throat> been this effort in Oregon to 
eliminate any type of harvest or use of animals. We're talking animal husbandry, you know, chickens and cows and uh, trapping, hunting, fishing, anything like that. There, there's actually funding and energy afoot in Oregon to try get that on a ballot. Uh, if it does get on the ballot, it's going to be groups like the Oregon Hunters Association that is going to fight the fight. So if you live there, sign up. If you live in some other state where you have a state-based group, sign up and become a member. Here's the other thing that was very disappointing, and I think this is not just an Oregon thing. The percentage of outdoor people who vote is lower than the national average. The percentage of rural people, which I would say, if you live in a rural place, you're more inclined to be a hunter or angler than if you live in downtown Erbia. Uh, their rates of voting are way lower than the national average. And I was reading some of this data. I'm like, we, we got to figure out how to get people yeah. motivated. Because if, if you would have taken all those apathetic Oregon voters and they would have voted and voted against this, and they call it Initiative 114, it would have not passed. Yep. You look at the thin margin that wolves passed on the ballot in Colorado, very thin margin. If you took every hunter, outdoor person who didn't vote in Colorado and they would have voted, that would not have passed. Yep. So, And I think it stems uh, from, you know, I think you and I see it in Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, you know, very conservative states that our vote, you know, our individual vote doesn't matter. You know, if if we don't vote, things are still going to pass conservative right now. And I think that, you know, in Oregon and Washington, it used to be that way. You know, we're Mm -hmm. talking 20, 30 years ago, but I think that the voters, especially those in rural areas, hunters, conservatives, I think that we've just got lulled into, oh, my vote doesn't matter. You know, yeah. my individual vote isn't going to make a difference. And now you see the the tables turning. And like you said, when you look at the statistics, now your vote does matter. And we still outnumber the the ones that are trying to push some of that crazy legislation through. But because we don't think our individual vote matters, you know, well, I'm if I go, what you know, one vote's not going to make a difference, and I'm not going to be able to influence the other twenty thousand that need to go and vote. But yeah, it's so important to recognize now the value of that one vote, but also the education of getting everyone else on board to to go and make their vote heard and count. That's that's the only way we're going to beat this stuff. I mean, that's yeah. honestly what it's going to come down to. I think we watch the news. We see all the, the liberal stuff on the news going on. And we feel a little bit hopeless, like, well, there, you know, everywhere you look, there's just, we're outnumbered, but we really aren't, you know, common sense still is, is alive and well, but it's not being heard. And we've got to, we've got to find a way to make our voices heard individually. Yeah. And I don't know how you do that, but I'm, you're going to see me on a bandwagon. Uh, Anytime there's an election year, if you don't go and vote, 
you don't deserve to be able to buy a hunting license. Well, and, and we've said that forever, but then it comes yeah. down to, you know, most of us who are hunters who live in Western hunting states, our individual vote hasn't been, it's like, you know, right. it's 84% to 16%. If I don't go and vote, mm-hmm. the guy I want to win is still going to win. And now we're, you know, we're into that point of, okay, that's not happening anymore. And we're outnumbered. So I'm just going to hang my head and bury it in the sand and move to a conservative state rather than dig in and fight. And that's, we've got to dig in and fight. Yeah. So I, uh, you'll hear me talking about these state-based groups a lot on my platforms and uh, they're, they're going to be critical. So hopefully people will fund them and people will volunteer for them and they'll sign up for their newsletters and be informed and i'm not going anywhere i'm not giving up i'm not moving somewhere else. <laughs> whatever no more pizza in portland <laughs> there that's you a, go <laughs> that's that's going to be their way of taking you out they're going to lure you in with some bad pepperoni pizza yeah i mean i could see it if it had like anchovies or dead yeah. rats on it or something you know but I mean, even little even world. little seizures can't mess up a pepperoni pizza. No, I, I've eaten at every pizza joint you can think of, you know, from the run of the mill to supposedly the, you know, the big ones. But, uh, oh, well. You want to take some viewer questions, Corey? We've just spent a half hour talking about another GI problem Randy had that was just about <laughs> the end of him. <laughs> Yeah, I did see uh, one question come through. Somebody wasn't very happy that you and I were putting down liberals and liberal policies. Really? Did you see that one? No, I didn't see that one. I, I haven't got that one all yet. But I was going to say just I, after our last conversation here. It's, huh. uh, That's interesting because I, I look at when you say the term conservative or liberal, I don't really look at it from the faces of who those, you know, yeah. what candidate it is. It's just some people will say, I'm a liberal. Okay, I'm good with that. You know, whatever you want to be. Or I'm a conservative. Okay, I'm good with that. Whatever you want to be. Um, I guess we can use different names for Well, for the problem is it, it's not the, the left. Or, exactly. It's not the, it's not if you're liberal, if you're conservative, it's the policies that keep getting implemented by those who are identified as liberals or conservatives. And that's, I mean, I am, I'm not trying to be divisive about your political stance or views or anything, but when you come to taking gun rights away, that's not a conservative group that's doing that. I guarantee you it's a liberal group that's doing that. And yeah. And the people who are in office who propose those kind of ideas, they proudly raise their hand and say, look, I, I have a liberal look at this. Okay, that's fine. So that, that's where some of these, if you want to call it tags or, or identities, get attached to some of the policies is because the people who push them, whether it's from this side or that side, they say that's what they are. So... So let, let me let me just read this because it's uh, I think it'll it'll give us something to uh, talk about and, and explain. But uh, I'm upset while writing this, so please take it with a grain of salt. But I had to pause your most recent podcast because your quote, all these liberal policies, end quote, comment is just well 
BS. It's lazy and uninformed, divisive, and frankly detrimental to the discussion about preserving and expanding public land hunting opportunities in the West. For the amazing level of thought and nuance you display in approaching elk hunting, it's really disappointing to then have you use such a reductive, simplistic trope. Unless you'd want to be grouped into sweeping blanket statements about all hunters, don't group other people with similarly broad statements. If it was a slip of the tongue, fine. But with your platform, be more precise in how you talk. Words have meaning. If it was reflective of your worldview, then brother, you need to broaden your horizons and apply the same deep understanding you have of the differences between subspecies of elk and deer to groups of people. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> Duly noted. So, Duly noted. But Instead it's, of saying liberals... I will then say policies that come from people who identify themselves as liberal or policies <laughs> that come from people who identify themselves as conservative. Yep. We, we just don't see, I mean, public land, hunting opportunities on public land. You are not going to see those who identify as more liberal providing policies and implementing policies and bills that are meant to protect that. Yeah. You know, maybe public no, land is important the to them, but they're right. going to shut the down hunting. hunting. Exactly. Right. So, and that's just, I, I don't, I mean, you, you can't be on both sides of that aisle. If you, if you agree with second amendment rights, you agree with hunting and public land hunting opportunities and we can go into a whole lot more political things that aren't even hunting related, but it's the conservative, those who identify as conservatives who are going to protect that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's where these crazy tags and labels and parties, that's why I refuse to be a member of a party, uh, <clears throat> get so tangled up. Uh, the person's comment, okay. I get what they're saying, but it's not when, when you say policies that are promoted by someone who identifies as a liberal, you know, representative or whatever, that's just a fact of saying that's how that person holds themselves out. And this is the policy they're promoting. Now I can go to all kinds of policies where conservative people aren't friendly to public lands. I can go to all kinds of policies where people who hold themselves out as liberals are not friendly to hunting. And I don't care who they are. If they are here messing with it, I'm an equal opportunity abuser. <laughs> you know, I don't care what party you are. I don't care if you hold your hand and say I'm conservative or I'm liberal. I care that you are interested in hunting, fishing, access, conservation. Yep. And there we go. I've been, when you were reading that, I was searching all the emails. I'm, you must not have forwarded that to me. Uh, oh, yeah, what day did it come in? That came in on Monday of this week. So the 20th mm. of February. Okay. Yeah. looks yeah, like well, maybe, probably, uh, maybe, uh, Derek and Daniel only sent that to me. Oh. <laughs> no. And oh. I, you know, it's not a, it's not about, being divisive. That isn't, uh, nope. you know, this isn't about being uneducated. I know just as many liberal people as anybody does. And, mm -hmm. you know, if you want to, whatever, there, there are liberal people who I would say are 
you know, politically on the liberal end of the spectrum who hunt yeah, and who absolutely want to uh, protect public land access. The problem is a lot of those people vote liberal and the people that they vote into office don't want to protect the things that we value. And that's, that's the issue. It's not the, the label of an individual being liberal or conservative. It is the policies being labeled individually, you know, liberal or conservative that hamper what we love and what we were trying to protect. And so I'm all about sitting down at the table with somebody with different views than me and having Mm -hmm. a conversation about that. What I'm not all about is burying my head in the sand while politicians with liberal views implement things that absolutely directly impact what we believe we have the rights and the freedoms to, to enjoy doing. Yeah. And if this person is offended by that, they haven't listened to any of my content where I hack on conservatives who want to sell the public lands. Yeah. I mean, uh, okay, I get it. You know, I don't want to focus on it too much, but <laughs> uh, I I will go after a conservative who wants to sell public lands, impair public lands, mess up public access just as hard as I'll go after someone who identifies as liberal who wants to stop hunting. Yep. I don't, I, I make no distinction between the fact that one's a liberal, one identifies as liberal, one identifies as conservative. And as quick as we try to make hunting, public land hunting, public access, all one or all this party or all that party, guess what? Half the time we're going to be left out of the discussion. Yep. And the other reason I resist this, you know, partisan, you know, ideological tag that people like to throw on it is it doesn't have to be that way. It never was that way. It used to be embraced by all sides of the political spectrum. But now groups grab parts of it and make it part of their their process. Like on Friday, what happened in Washington? Their commission had to sit through a proposal from a person appointed by a governor, and the proposal is that hunting should no longer be one of the management mechanisms yeah. for Washington wildlife. Now, this is a person who has a seat, appointed seat, on a Fish and Wildlife Commission. And I don't care what name, tag, label you want to put on it, where they come from, how they vote. I don't really care. You know, the the fact that they have been appointed by somebody who identifies as this type of, you know, part of this political spectrum, they've been uh, appointed by that. And they are now bringing that as a view and have a lot of support among some of their fellow commissioners. That's a problem. And that's a liberal policy. I mean, that's identified. That is not a conservative policy. It can be, it's okay to define that policy and those actions as being backed by liberal policy. Yeah, because the people who, who appointed them hold themselves out and say, look, I'm a proud liberal. That's fine. I, I don't care if you say that's what you are. 
Yep. But That's when your policies <laughs> kind of get put in a category of coming from the liberal side of the spectrum, don't be mad if someone says, yeah. well, that, that policy came policy. from the liberal side. Yep. You know, if some guy wants to rape, pillage, and sell the public lands, I'm, I'm going to say, you know what? Those conservatives saying that and thinking that are, are off base. So I, I'm equal opportunity when it comes to that. It's a target-rich environment out there with politicians <laughs> and bad ideas. Yep. I, and I, I, I say that figuratively, people don't really care. <laughs> because you and I have to look at all these issues. And the way that we try to use our platforms to implement change are engaging with the people who bring them to the table, you know, whether it's a conservative who brings it or a liberal who brings it. And when I say targets, I'm, I got to not say it that way. And in today's Target world, for comments, are, target exactly. for conversation. Right. Yes. Pressure. Yeah. So, yeah. We might have to just delete this podcast, Corey. We're getting so far off out in the weeds, but. Well, it's just important. I mean, you look at Oregon and what they're going through. You've got to rally the troops to stand up for what you believe. And I think these policies, the the thing that hurts us is they're going to take something like taking away hunting. And it's going to be looped in with other liberal policies that we completely disagree with. And there may be people who live in San Francisco who hunt. Mm -hmm that also believe that some of these other policies are okay. The problem is, is they all get looped in together because of, like you said, the, the partisan atmosphere and environment that that's been created in our country. And so you're either for, you know, whatever it is, pro pro life and pro hunting and all of these things are on one side of a line that's been basically drawn and you're either conservative or you're liberal because you believe this, this, and this, and it's not a all a mode menu where you can just go down and pick, okay, I believe in hunting. I'm going to protect public lands, but I also believe in this and I'm going to protect this because you can't vote that way. You know, you've got a politician here who's got the line drawn. He says, I am a liberal and I'm going to stand up for, you know, gun control and abortion rights and whatever it is. And then on the other side, you've got somebody saying, well, I'm running as a conservative and I'm going to fight for hunting rights and second amendment rights and everything. So, you know, it's not like we have a, a, a menu opportunity right. as a voter anymore it's no, you, you know you you're either on one say, side hey, or the other yeah i'm voting for you when the issue is this and i'm voting for your opponent when the issue is that yeah and so i get it people that's why we want to keep these issues from being drawn into the political sphere because yep. as we've nationalized our politics the topics that form the debate are the ones like you talked about taxes, abortion, you know, whatever it might be and hunting and conservation and access end up so far down that list that if you just vote because of the national issues, you're left in this conundrum. That's like you said, is, is kind of a, a binary decision that the national level politicians and policymakers want us to be in. They want to make it binary. 
And um, so be your own advocate. Uh, yeah, dang, I did not see that email. Yeah, Otherwise, my, I would have been more prepared. Uh, I think uh, sometimes the, the answers you give unprepared are, are the ones that come from the heart, <laughs> especially if you're yeah, medicated I, I just, and unprepared. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I don't care where you, you come from in the political spectrum. If you come after the things that are important to me, I'm going to use my platforms to push back. Yeah. And if you don't like it, as my grandma would say, you've mistaken me for someone who cares about your hurt feelings. <laughs> you know? And I've got, uh, I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've been in heated debates with conservatives who I, you know, people who say they're conservatives, like right now in the Montana legislature, we have some of the dumbest ideas you've ever heard proposed and they're pro mostly proposed by conservatives. Okay. I have no problem saying those are dumb conservative ideas. They're not even conservative in the conservative sense. I have no problem saying that. It's fact. Yeah. And just like if we got dumb ideas coming from people who say, hey, you know, we're proud liberals, good. I'm glad you're proud of what your beliefs are. But don't be mad if I say that's a dumb liberal idea. And I'm going to push back against it. So, all right. <laughs> Next. Next. <laughs> Next. <laughs> Corey can see me on video. He's thinking, man, right? He's, he's going to hurt his other hand. The I was going to say, and... swinging arms around there. Yeah. Well, one arm. <laughs> I, if I was to swim right now, I'd swim in a circle. My, I, I'd swim around clockwise because my left hand works. My left arm works. But... Elk Talk Podcast is also brought to you by the University of Elk Hunting. The University of Elk Hunting was founded by Corey Jacobson. It is now part of the suite of courses out there at OutdoorClass.com. So if you want to sign up for the University of Elk Hunting and save some money, go out to OutdoorClass.com and use Elk Talk as your promo code, and you'll get 20% off. But more importantly, you're going to get the University of Elk Hunting. You're going to get other courses from Outdoor Class taught by Corey Jacobson, Remy Warren, Randy Newberg, John Barklow, Hank Shaw, Jamie Teagan, and on and on and on. There you have it. Outdoorclass.com will get you the University of Elk Hunting. Just make sure you use promo code ELKTALK and save 20%. Uh, which questions do you want to take? I don't know. We've got another, you know, Washington. We're, we got quite a bit. We must have spent one podcast talking negatively about hunting opportunity in Washington. I know we've talked yeah. about it, you know, as far as it being number 10 on a list of 10 states that we would want to send somebody to to go hunting, but... The, yeah. the residents of Washington keep emailing us and saying, why do you guys hate Washington? So it's almost like they want us to send people there to crowd their hunting. And <laughs> it's like, guys, listen, most people will be burying their heads in the sand right now saying, yeah, I keep telling people it's horrible here. That'll make it okay for us. And yeah. it, uh, people don't like it. They take it personal when you, when you diss on what they yeah. deem to be no, valuable I, to them. There is some great hunting in Washington and Oregon. Yeah. And just for our audience, it's hard for us to convince them to drive all the way from Tennessee through Colorado, through Wyoming, through Idaho, and drive past all that great out country to go and hunt in those other states. So, yep. it's, uh, but uh, we got one from Matt. 
this guy, he, this is one of the most detailed and precise emails we've ever got. I mean, he's a, I'm a premium member of Gohan, subscribed to Outdoor Class, a heritage member of Army App. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, and he's really getting into the weeds here about, uh, uh, I, how do I want to, what category do I want to put this in? Um, one, he gets when you say getting into the weeds, we're talking detail. Like it's not, when you get into the weeds, it's not always a bad thing. It is, you are, uh, you are in the thick of detail here. Yeah. He is, uh, his, he says, my question is twofold. First, could you elaborate more on the transition from North facing to South facing slopes, provided that I heard your information correctly. And he gave a couple paragraphs before that about how he's heard you and I talk about, uh, as weather comes, you know, warm weather, they're going to be using north-oriented slopes more. As it gets warmer or colder later in the season, they're going to be using, you know, rotating kind of a little bit more to south-oriented slopes. Yeah. So to his first question, I think we can confirm he heard us correctly. Yeah. So can you and elaborate then, more on that transition from north-facing to, to south-facing slope? So, I mean, there is a transition where elk will spend more time on a south-facing slope than what they previously were spending, uh, especially compared to the north-facing, but it's a function of primary needs. And, yeah. you know, during September, primary need into October is, you know, feed's always important, but staying alive and finding those sanctuaries and staying, you know, away from hunting pressure is, uh, is what they do to stay alive. Then as hunting seasons start ending, you know, they go into full survival mode, which is find the feed and that feed becomes more abundant on South exposures, uh, during that transition. So it's not a, you know, it's not like they're looking at the calendar going, okay, guys, time to move out on the South face. It is, what's my primary need today versus what's my primary need tomorrow and where do I find those? Yep. And so it's, let's say it's the first week of September, it's 85 degrees. No elk in his right mind is going to be out on a southwest facing slope. They're going to be on a heavy north slope because they have to thermal regulate to stay cool. The same as if it's November and the normal temp is 50 degrees, but that day it's 75. They're going to be more towards a north-facing slope. And when we say north, we're, we're not saying direct north. It could be northeast, northwest, places where they they can stay cooler. Now, if it's the 1st of November, normal temp is 40 degrees, but it's 20 below zero, they're going to be on a southeast or southwest exposed slope trying to find some food and stay warm. Yep. So it's, it, it's kind of like if you were out there doing this where would you set up shop that day to be if you had to find feed and, and think like an elk what they're going to eat and where they're going to find the best feed so it's a you know that transition you, you can look at it as when do they need to move from sanctuaries that they find on the north face and spending you know most of their daylight hours in that sanctuary during mm-hmm. heavy over-the-counter public land hunting seasons to hey, I need to be spending more time during my day filling my stomach with food so I can make it through the winter. That's actually the transition that takes place there. 
the north yeah. and south faces are just the the platforms that they use to find what they need yeah and he did give us a whole bunch of detail about this area that he hunts or is looking at heavily roaded public land over the counter you know lots of hunting pressure so he also asked uh uh it says, and two, given the massive amount of accessible hunting pressure that will occur in this unit, should I care as much about slope direction, incline, elevation, water, or should I just focus on the spots that will limit the hunting pressure as much as possible? Yes. Yes. <laughs> focus, on, <laughs> focus on the places, even though it's heavily roaded, uh, that primary need that Corey's talking about at that time is staying alive. And now someone's going to crank up the Bee Gees. <laughs> I'm not going to sing. Uh, but anyhow, his, his goal did. was to stay alive. You just did sing it. Oh, sorry. That's 1974. <laughs> that, that shows you how old I am. Uh, uh, but uh, so, again, the primary need, if there's that much hunting pressure and the bull elk is like, well, yeah, there's this nice flatter slope with a kind of west face to it. I could loaf around there, but it's 400 yards from a trailhead. Or I could go down in this nasty hole that nobody wants to go in. Yeah, I'm going to get hungry. But when hunting season is over, I can fill my food bag again. He's going down in that nasty hole. Yeah. So you'd put way more emphasis on the sanctuary part of it because of the roaded area, the, the amount of pressure he identifies this unit has, more so than you would about slopes. Yep. And the thing is, you know, it's not all or nothing. It's not like there's no feed on a north right. slope. And it's not like they can't find sanctuaries on a south slope. You know, it's, it's yeah. what's primary and where are they going to find that in most abundance? And yep. they're going to find safety during a, a high-pressured hunting season in a sanctuary and still be able to eat. It might not be the the kind of eating that's going to fill them to make it through the winter, but they're still going to have food. It's not like they're down there starving themselves just to stay safe. And then when they come out on the open hillside, it's not like they're laying out there exposing themselves to get shot or picked off by a pack of wolves. They're still, safety's still a concern. It's just not the primary right then. Yeah. Well, I, I think Matt must have heard some of our comments on how we don't get to some of the real generic, hey, where can I kill an elk type questions. Boy, he detailed this. I, I, just, <laughs> I felt, you know what, anyone who puts this much work into something, we got to take that question. Yeah. Well, so. he uh, he had more too. His third paragraph yeah, there about his ideas about for system. states with point systems. As I read yeah. through that, you know, I'm most of the time when people offer ideas about how to, you know, back away from point systems or, you know, this is a point system that would work, I immediately can tear it apart and be like, that's not gonna work. That's that's gonna make the matter worse. His mm -hmm. actually, I mean, if you're gonna do something. It's about the best idea I think you could come up with, and that is just quit selling points. It's yeah. still, you know, the draw is still based on a point system, but you don't issue points anymore. So yeah, you can't keep people, collecting points. The people with a bunch of points still get preference until they draw, and then they go back in and fight yeah. it out with the rest of everybody after that. Uh, yeah, and I think in states where you have some portion of the tags 
in the point system and some outside the point system that would work uh probably if i was going to punch a hole in that idea it would be that wyoming sells 150,000 elk points at 50 bucks a piece to non-residents <laughs> 7.5 million dollars <laughs> cash moolah dinero cash money how do you make up Dude. that yeah well that's the the way that. is you take how many elk tags do they issue to non-residents yeah and you add that well you, you take that and you just raise it from thirteen hundred dollars for a special tag to nineteen hundred dollars for a special tag and uh do the math right. on that. I, I think that that's what they're going to do. Well, but they're going to they're, they're they're keep doing both. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they want their cake and eat it too. Yeah. So let's see. 7.5 million divided by 7,250 non-resident elk tags. Yeah, they'd have to add $1,034 to each elk tag to make yeah. up for dropping their elk point system. Which basically... They're not very far off from that. Yeah. I've never looked at it that way, Corey. Has it? That's kind of some interesting math. For yeah. every elk tag that Wyoming sells to non-residents, they make, well, this year it was even more points. So they make about $1,050 of just selling points. Yeah. That's no And is that 150,000 point buyers? Does that include resident and non-resident point no, buyers? No, non-residents non are the only ones that have a point system in Wyoming. Non-residents don't in Wyoming, or residents don't in Wyoming. So They don't have points even for the limited entry hunts? Uh, nope. Only, they only have a point system for uh, moose, moose and sheep. sheep yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah. Well, I mean, there, there are ways, and I think, you know, it's, it just comes down to, they're looking at it saying, Hey, in Wyoming, we can raise the, the price of a special tag from 1300 to $1,900. And we're pretty mm -hmm. confident people are still going to pay that. Oh yeah. And they will. There'll be less, <laughs> less people. Yes. But the same number of tags are still going to get sold at that higher price than what they were selling at the lower price. Fewer people yeah. will apply, which will increase the odds for those who are applying for it. But they're still going to sell the same number of tags that they used to sell at $1,300 when they move mm -hmm. it to $1,900. So they're looking at that saying, you know, where's the threshold? Where do we, where, where's break even here for us? And like you said, they're, they're still looking at it as we've got 150,000 people buying points. And we can raise prices of tags. So it, it's not just a, a function of a game agency saying, hey, we've got to recoup cost. We've got to make sure that we're keeping costs the same. They're continually looking at how they can increase revenue. And, you know, I think yeah. if we were to, to look at a state and say, hey, we're going to not issue points anymore. Um, we're still going to use the point system that's in place. And if you have 15 points, you have, you know, 15x preference over somebody that has one point or this is first time applying, they've got to find a way to to supplement that. And that's going to be through raising license and tag costs. Yeah. And I think it can be done without completely pricing people out of hunting. Wyoming's definitely a, an extreme case because of how many people they have and the, yeah. pe the fact that they let those people just buy a point. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's... 
we're not going to find a process that's clean and no. happy for everyone. You want me to depress you about Wyoming? No, but go ahead. Got 7,250 tags a year for non-residents. If no new non-residents jumped in the system, they got 22 <laughs> years worth of non-resident applicants in the system right now. Yep. And lots of them have double-digit points. Yep. So, hey, and I think we're going to see a lot of people bail in the next couple of years just from the fact that they're, they're starting to understand the point creep issue and the fact that they've got 11 points and they're looking at it going, well, I still can't draw unit seven. I still can't yeah. draw these premium units. And this unit over here takes 11 points to draw. I could draw it, but I know a place in the general units that is probably better hunting than this. And so I'm going to yeah. go burn my points in the, in a general unit. And we're seeing, I know a lot of people this year that have seven or eight points that are like, I'm just applying for the general. I'm going to quit chasing it. And it's doesn't yeah. make any sense. And, yep. So next question we got from Robert. It's about convinced I don't know if it was convincing, but his wife started watching Destination Elk, I think. <laughs> and so she got fired up about elk hunting. Yeah. So now he goes down to the the sports store. Mom says, I'm going to buy an elk call. Daughters say, well, I want an elk call. Now the whole family's walking around the house blowing on elk calls. Yeah. And, and he says problem he gives credit is, to you. No, <laughs> what's the problem here? Yeah. And then his question is, what are your thoughts on a spouse as a hunting partner? I think it's great. Yeah. I, I can't give spouse advice anymore. I got in trouble last night. Really? Oh, yeah. oh you're you're in the penalty box now? Okay? I'm in the penalty box when it comes to marriage advice and spouse oh, advice. <laughs> Well, a closed mouth gathers no foot, you know. Yeah, uh, uh, Brinker had me on his uh, Altitude podcast oh. when I was down at Hunt Expo, and it was just, we just sat down and started chatting. There was no agenda, no questions, just started mm. talking about stuff. And he was asking me about, you know, I don't even remember how the topic came up, but it got on the conversation of me having a, a very linear brain and mm -hmm. him having more of a creative, you know, free thinking brain. Yep. And he said, you know, my wife balances me out really well because she's a linear thinker. And I said, it's the same in my marriage. You know, I, when I first got married, I thought everyone should be a linear thinker. And, uh -huh. you know, I, I realized that my wife, you know, after we got married, that she wasn't a linear thinker. And it's actually fairly common that, you know, there are a lot of people that don't think the same way I do. Well, she took mm -hmm. that as me saying, not everybody's as smart as me because they don't think linearly like me. And I was like, that's not what I was saying. I was saying Boy. we compliment each other really well. And Brinker, you know, he said he and his wife don't have the same brains and it balances out good. And that's, that's what I was trying to express. But she heard, well, my wife doesn't think like I do. So she's not as smart as me. So. So you, I, I had no idea. She's, she secretly like listens to podcasts. 
Yeah. My wife hasn't listened to one podcast I've ever done. Yeah. So I'm hoping that she listens to this one and will take this as an apology that that wasn't at all what I meant. I I meant that it takes both sides of the brain thinking and working together to make a good, strong team. And I didn't realize that until I got married. So I was trying to give her credit for educating me and and helping me become a more well-rounded person. And it just... it turned into a lose-lose. I, I couldn't have commented either way there and been no. right. You know what, Corey? When you're in a hole, put down the shovel. <laughs> you know, yep, that's, th- th- this was my attempt at an apology. So, Yeah. Well, we'll if, if I was you, I'd hang up this podcast and I'd go and take her to lunch <laughs> or something. That's, that's a way better apology than having a confession here on the, the uh, elk talk confessional <laughs> the marriage important. confession line <laughs> yeah we're, we're yeah oh well, i don't know we could probably make a pretty popular platform there if we uh, get it? hunters to to send in emails <laughs> to us of hey what confession. did you do to, to upset your wife during hunting season this year and you know we yeah. get wives and husbands listening to this and, and we yeah. say wives with the recognition that there are many uh wives and females who hunt and probably um, have to apologize to their husbands for their addiction yeah. to hunting. Yeah. So before you get yourself in any more hot water, back to Robert's <laughs> point, I think having your spouse as your elk hunting partner is as cool as it gets. And if your daughters are picking up elk calls and doing this, all the better. Ah, what a lucky guy. Yep. I mean, just oh. think something that you're passionate about, something that you absolutely love. To be able to share it firsthand and have somebody that you love, like your wife or your children, to be able to share that with them directly, there's mm-hmm. there's nothing better. Yeah. Unless, I mean, I don't know, Donnie and I sometimes get on each other's nerves, me getting on his nerves more than the other way around, I think. Um you know, he and I get a separation when we go back home. If you hunt with your spouse and you uh, get on each other's nerves as hunting partners, you got to go home and resolve that. So, Yeah, that's true. So <laughs> don't be like the guy I ran into at the Portland show. He starts telling the story and his wife is there and she cuts him off and says, yeah. And he shot it right out from underneath oh, me. Oh, no. I'm like, dude, you really that dumb? <laughs> I mean, you look like a really smart guy. Elk fever just get, grab you and, and 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 cause you to lose your senses. Yeah. And then after she embarrassed him, she said, "Well, I kind of told him if I don't get the shot, go ahead and shoot it." <laughs> so, uh, I'm not sure what was going on there, but at first, if he did what the story started out as is they were going through the woods and he saw the bull and he shot it. Ooh. Yeah. Don't, don't do that. Yeah. You know, I don't even carry a, a bow with me when I'm hunting with my kids. That's yeah. So, hey, you know, yeah, I hope everybody question. has a spouse that's as interested as his are. And and he said his youngest one walks around the house with cotton balls in his inner <laughs> ears now. All, him, his wife, and his two other daughters are blowing on out calls all the time. Uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's the sound of a happy home right there. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, uh, let's see. Let's see. What was this other one that I'd pulled up here? Um, so, oh, this guy, there, uh, Troy, they're uh, kind of new to elk hunting, uh, coming out for a do-it-yourself hunt in Colorado. He's wondering if they should go do a, a an easy-to-draw first rifle or muzzleloader rather than do it over-the-counter. Uh, and knowing that of the three guys, maybe one should get a bull tag and the other two should get cow tags or two get a bull tag, one get a cow tag. I'm fine with whatever. I, <clears throat> you know, if you're coming out and you just want to learn and you want me, your odds of getting one are way better if you got a cow tag. Yeah. Right. And he, he does say he's logged 200 plus hours of <laughs> scouting and research looking at go hunt filtering, you know, all of that. Yeah. And I'm like, if you're spending that much time researching, don't get bogged down about which hunt you want to go on. You know, yeah. that's, you're going to have, you're going to have an adventure and experience either way. So, you know, yeah. look at, you know, was it better to have one person get a bull tag and everybody else get a cow tag? Well, if you want to do that, yeah. If y'all want to get cow tags, do that. If y'all want bull tags, do that. You're going to be hunting. Yeah. And yeah. And you're going to be learning. Yeah. You're going to be making some mistakes. And that's all going to add to the level of knowledge that you're going to have as an elk hunter. Yep. And yep. then forward that email to Donnie so you can see the dad joke. I the saw that one. The dad joke at the end. Yeah. We, uh, <laughs> we about had mutiny on our hands with destination elk this last week. Really? I got, yeah, I got sick at hunt expo and didn't want to spread it to Donnie and John. So I said, well, I'll just record the, the outros for a couple episodes by myself. And I'm not even going to attempt, you know, in a setting where I'm sitting there filming myself to tell a dad joke to take Donnie's place. Cause Donnie tells a dad joke in pretty much every episode of destination elk. And mm-hmm. people were threatening to quit watching it. If Donnie didn't get back on there and start telling dad jokes, it was, really? I thought yeah. forever that, man, they were there for the elk hunting and the dad joke was a bonus. But I think a lot of people are watching destination elk just to hear Don- Donnie's delivery of a dad joke. Maybe it's destination dad joke. Yeah. The other mm. comment we're getting a lot right now is, where is Team Randy? Oh, we God. want Randy. We want to see mm. somebody. You guys are seeing grouse and not even shooting at them. If Randy was there, he'd be shooting all those grouse. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'll just come along with the 20 gauge and I'll be a mop-up duty. <laughs> and when you guys come back to camp, I'll have chicken in a pot for you. <laughs> well, tonight's episode... Um, will make Randy proud and it will appease many of those who love to see grouse being shot in destination elk episodes. There you go. Because if my hand doesn't heal, Corey, uh, I'm not going to be shooting a bow. Right your trigger, now, finger, me your trigger finger still back. works. Yeah, but how, look at my wrist. How, how am I going to make that work? <laughs> And I have no you wear a brace. You wear a brace. Put things. your release strap around oh. the brace. Yeah. I'll have to call Remy and yeah. Remy Warren can teach me how to use a mouth tab. There you go. But no, I, if if this doesn't turn out well, I'm I'm gonna be relegated to either going left handed or just shooting grouse with a shotgun. Which well, is fun. Left- Left-handed isn't going to be a lot of fun for you either because your wrist is going to right, be needed to to hold a bow or a rifle up. 
Yeah. And it'll be fine. The the doctor will have you sewed up. You know, Mm -hmm. you might confuse which finger is which, and you might go to to pull the release on an elk, and your pinky finger (laughs) smacks your hand, and you're like, what just happened? But Uh, you'll figure it out. we should have done this podcast tomorrow afternoon after my surgery and I'd be over-medicated. <laughs> you, you and the audience could have had a lot of fun at my oh, expense. Man. Oh, wow. Uh, but uh, another guy sent one in, and he loves to hunt the first week of September when, unfortunately, it's really, really hot. Ray says that it's super hot. I know where the elk are hiding out, but I can't get to them because the way the thermals are. And I know where they're going to go because they want to stay cool. What can I do to persuade those bulls to come out of that blowdown slope if they're not talking? <laughs> uh, go watch Destination Elk because that was Donnie and I's season last year. Was We hunted the 30th of August through the 5th of September, and we were seeing bulls every day. I don't know if we even saw any cows. Man, I'm going to have to go back. and I don't think we saw any cows. We saw plenty of bulls. Oh, we did see cows. There was one bull that had two cows. But um, that that was a story of we knew the elk were there. We knew the bulls were there. We could even get within two or 300 yards of them. We couldn't make hmm. them talk. There's nothing we could do to elicit a, a response out of them. Uh, we tried raking, which raking is probably the best bet for early season like that because the bulls are raking. They're they're getting the velvet off their antlers. They're starting to build up their neck muscles. They're raking, whether they're bugling or not, they're raking. And so you might be able to persuade one to come in to see what's going on by raking uh, without any calling. And that's a strategy we tried uh, a considerable amount of the time last year. But like you said, they they retreat early because it's hot. They're going into those north faces. It's thick, so you can't get in there and get on top of them. You can't stalk them in their beds because they're in just those thick blowdowns where they hear anything coming. If you try getting in from down below them during the day, they're going to smell you. So it's tough. I mean, you're really relegated to hunting first thing in the morning when they're moving out from those open ridges, getting back into that thick stuff and then hoping to catch them as they come out right before dark at night, but trying to get in on them when they aren't moving, they aren't even going to water during the middle of the day. Cause that takes too much energy. They're just, they're laying back there in the shade and not doing anything. It makes it really yeah. tough to, to hunt. Yeah. I'd, I'd say hunting elk in warm weather is by far the toughest time to hunt elk. And I don't care if archery rifle, whatever. Yeah. Just, man, it messes things up. Yeah. So we'll do one more quick one because I spent so much time talking about food poisoning and puking that we didn't get to a lot of questions here. Uh, <laughs> I think there was entertainment value in talking about that. All right. Uh, so this guy is thinking about applying in Montana. And he says, can you tell me why Montana gives 25% of the tags to those point holders with zero points? Last year, the odds with zero points were 78%. The odds with one point was 0%. Almost seems like it would be better to never buy a point in Montana. Jackpot. (laughs) Montana this is what happens when legislators okay since 
someone was mad we picked on or used the term liberal. I'm going to balance the scale here. A conservative legislator in Montana decided they knew how to fix our problems. They brought forth this bill that said, we're going to take 75% of the non-resident elk tags and we're going to give them to the people with the most points. We're going to start at the top. Three, two, by the time we get to the two-point level, that chunk of 75% is pretty much gone. Now, the other 25%, we're going to start at the bottom and work up. So we're going to start at zero and work our way through zero. And if we have any more tags, we'll get up to the one-point people. So in the process of doing it, this conservative legislator's idea resulted in what we call the one-point sandwich. In other words, everyone above you draws and everyone below you draws. <laughs> so why the heck are you buying points in Montana? That's a good yep. question. And that, is that for the, uh, the general, the general elk combo, elk combo, elk? Yeah. So, and then if you, you, know, then if I you think... do draw that tag... Then we have a bonus point system for any limited hunts, limited entry hunts you want to apply for. Yep. So the the thing I ran into is I had, I think, five preference points for the general mm-hmm. license built up. And I'm like, that way, you know, I'm I'm I've, I've got to get my bonus point every year. So that means I have to be getting a, a point. I might as well get a preference point. And so I had built up to five or six preference points. And then when they implemented that last year, they said, well, you can't have more than two. But you don't get to just max out at two and stay there. If you have more than two, they knock you down to zero. So I lost all my... Yeah, I lost all my preference points last year and back down to zero. So you can't have more than two now. So they give 75% of the... I think it's two, two points. Oh, it might be. I don't apply as a non-resident, yeah. so someone will chime in. Who, <laughs> well, we'll all look into it, too, because I, I am a non-resident, so I'll know for sure. Yeah. But um, anyhow, yeah, if that's the case, then that 75%, <clears throat> excuse me, that 75% is eaten up with the people with two points, because there's a pile of people with two points, and mm-hmm. then that 25% gets eaten up with the zero-point holders, like you said, they don't even get to the one-point pool. So if you have one point in Montana, you have no chance yep. of drawing with the current, you know, with yep. the way it worked out last year. Yeah. So the idea when that was proposed, and this is what happens when you have inexperienced legislators and you have people writing bills who don't understand our draw system, it was supposed to be we start at the top and burn up the 75% pool. And then the other 25% were going to be issued randomly to anyone who didn't draw. But that's not how the legislation got worded. <laughs> so, sorry. Uh, so, and, yeah, uh, I mean, I guess the good news is if they're going to knock you down from five points to zero, at least I have a better chance of drawing with zero than if they probably yeah. kept me at two points. And if it's any consolation, I was on a call this week with some legislators who are working on a, I don't know what you'd call it, a, a whole bundle of things to try fix in Montana's system. That was one <laughs> of the things I suggested they fix. Whether or not they'll, they will, I don't know. I'm like, this is the dumbest thing. We, we, we Montana had to purposely 
come up with something this bad of how we do things. I mean, you couldn't yeah. just accidentally arrive at where we are in Montana. This had to be intentional of how messed up our non-resident draw is. Yeah. But here's the downside. If you're a non-resident, it doesn't affect any residents. So you don't have a lot of advocates who want to change anything. Yep. I'm here to change it to make it simpler and easier, but it doesn't get very far up the priority list. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I may as well stand out on the street corner here and propose my idea as to tell it to some legislator in Helena who I've probably made mad somewhere along the way anyhow. So. <laughs> some conservative legislator that's just uh, out to get you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, you know, yeah. what else we got, Corey? Don't you Man. have basketball practice or something you got? You know, the JV team is done, so varsity has a game tonight, so mm-hmm. no practice today. So. Yeah. Mm. Well, we got anything else we got to tell the audience? Well, I don't know if there's anything uh, pressing on a yeah. on a time timely basis here. I think. Yeah, uh, if I them, I'd go out to rmef.org, and RMEF just issued kind of their I don't know score sheet if you want to call it that uh, for 2022. Holy cow, they did a lot of acreage last year, and. Uh, so if you want to know where your membership money is going and the money you donate or go to banquets and spend money on, there's a lot of stuff getting done. So armyf.org, go be a member if you're not already. Or if you are a member, go sign up for a higher level. Yeah. Corey will pay you a fee. <laughs> now you sound like Donnie. Yeah, now you sound like Donnie. We're sitting there doing these outros. I'm like, yeah, we've got a good giveaway package today and he's like are we giving away your bow and i'm like wait what what did you just say he's like we should give away your bow so he like he just looks around the room and he's like what can we give away here hmm. uh, <laughs> i wish people could have saw the video of you when i just said that <laughs> you were kind of staring off into space and when i said that you instantly you turned snapped right to attention the camera <laughs> uh, I, was, I was reading through some email the comments here to see if there's anything else we could squeeze in and you said that and you caught my full attention there yeah i just did the utah application video for my platforms today april 27th is the deadline instead of last year was march 3rd so yeah. what's that six seven weeks later yep. man are there changes to the elk things unbelievable it, 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 i always say that the year, the first year of big change is your chance to maybe take advantage of it. After the first year, then everybody has some evidence to look at yeah. of what happened the prior year, and it's harder to kind of slip in under the radar. Yeah. So now I'm scheming to figure out, okay, I think I've got five Utah L points. Is there any way I could fall through the the cracks here and somehow land on a lucky number but i doubt it mm. so yeah we'll have to talk about those changes in the next podcast yeah. maybe yeah and if i want to depress people they only have 133 years worth of applicants in the utah system wow <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, 
Yeah. <laughs> well, quite the salesman for you, As you say, let's, well, it doesn't, it's any state that has a point system. It's, yeah. it's hard to be a salesman. Yeah. So, hey, um, I hope people have uh, went and looked at your uh, University of Elk Hunting now that it's out on outdoor class. Yeah. And um, there's a whole new module out there on outdoor class from John Barklow. Yep. Yeah. That, have you seen that content? That's I've cool seen stuff. parts of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, John's uh, a wealth John. of, of knowledge. Yeah. I texted him last night. I'm like, John, this stuff is so unique to what's being talked about in the hunting space. You're going to end up on the Elk Talk podcast sooner than you probably <laughs> thought. <laughs> and, uh, so if you want to go out to outdoor class, use promo code Elk Talk. And Corey will pay for your subscription. I'll uh, I'll pay twenty dollars of it if you use the promo code Elk Talk. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm gonna get in trouble when we hang this up. Corey's gonna be like, "Hey, quit it! That's not funny." <laughs> I'm gonna be getting all kinds of emails about this stuff. So, uh, but. Well, I better get going also because I got to go to pre-anesthesia today. I don't know Ooh. what they're going to tell me. Have you ever done that? What's that do? What, pre-anesthesia? No. Yeah. They said I'm a high-risk patient because of my blood clotting history. Well, that's true. You're high-risk okay. in a lot of areas. <laughs> 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 it was funny when I went in on Monday to see the hand surgeon. He's like, oh, yeah, we can probably get this done right away. And then he starts looking at my charts. He's like, what's the deal with the blood clot in the liver? What's the deal with the TIA? What's what's the deal with the blood clot in your heart? I'm like, I have a blood clotting issue that ruined my liver and tried to kill me a couple of other times. He just paused. He's like, I ain't doing this as outpatient. We're doing this. I want a full surgical staff in the hospital with a guy like you. I'm like, what? Like, yeah, I ain't, I ain't taking that risk. Yeah. What if you clawed up on me? Like, well, just tell my wife where you, you know, where you buried me. She needs a death certificate so that she can <laughs> claim the life insurance. So, uh, yeah. I, I am not. Uh, I, I'm an easy patient from a. I'll do whatever you tell me. But as far as all these things I got going on in the background, I wouldn't want to be my doctor. No. So. I don't know what pre-anesthesia means, but I'm about ready to find out here in 22 minutes. So. <laughs> Good luck. Oh. We'll uh, we'll keep you in our prayers, and uh, if you're still around for the next episode, we'll talk to you then. <laughs> <laughs> if that's quite a qualifier, of course. Well, you know. <laughs> uh, if not, um, we'll have your wife on to talk about you your life insurance yeah. policy. Yeah, here lies Randy Newberg died a bad pizza. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> we uh, might even mention the place you got the bad pizza at that point. Well, yeah, if I die from all this, we're going to rat them out. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> but, oh, well. I mean, you know, I should have been suspicious. If you go to a pizza joint and pepperoni pizza is like hidden way in the back of the menu because they got all these kind of foo-foo stuff and kale and lizards and other stuff you can get on your pizza you know spanish lettuce and you know bolivian cheese and whatever it should have been my first sign that some you're in the wrong joint yeah exactly you know i thought they were gonna ask me if i wanted you know cottage cheese on my pizza or something i'm like no i want a pepperoni pizza 
And the guy acted <laughs> exasperated on the phone. Like, well, I guess so. That yeah, should have well, been your shine, Randy. That and the fact that they renewed driver's licenses and registrations in the same building yeah. and the new sign that said, uh, we do taxes now also. That's, mm-hmm. Yeah. That and the fact that I had to climb over three homeless people as I walked in the entryway. Yeah. You were in the wrong part of town to be ordering pizza. Lesson learned, Corey. Yep. yep. Uh, you know. Just fell off the turnip truck here, the old country <laughs> bumpkin. You know, I don't know. I'm sure when I walk the streets of Portland waving, hey, how are you doing? Hey, <laughs> they must think, man, this guy is on some drugs, man. <laughs> we, we need to follow him around. Yeah. <laughs> oh. well, well, you have a great day, Corey. You too, and good luck, and we'll uh, chat with you here in the next one. All right. Take care, folks.